0: You know, there is nothing that goes wrong with nature, only what man does, then it goes wrong. But we are made of that thing. The very essence of our being, of every atom in our body, is made from this perfect knowledge, this perfect consciousness. But superimposed on that, our physical being is really, um, on a very, very subtle level, it's just like the sap in a tree mm-hmm. is is the sap and it runs throughout all the parts of the tree now it's like that our bodies are manifesting into physical bodies but the cause the sap is pure consciousness pure awareness and that is perfect and perfect knowledge but we have to tap into that to understand it you know as I say I realize I want to you know I just want more this isn't it this isn't it you know um, fame is not the goal, money, you know, although money's nice to have, it can buy you a bit of freedom, you know, you can go to the Bahamas when you want, but it doesn't, it's not the answer, and the answer, you know, is um, how to get peace of mind and how to be happy. That's really what we're supposed to be here for. Surprise doesn't last all morning. And a cloudburst doesn't last all day Sees thy love is up And has left you with no warning But it's not always gonna be this way All things first pass All things must pass away
1: Welcome back to the Here, There, and Everywhere roundtable discussion about the life and music of George Harrison, featuring Elliot Roberts and Rob Sheffield. I'm your host, Jack Lawless, and you're listening to part three of our conversation. If you haven't heard the first two parts, I definitely recommend checking those out before listening to this episode. Part three picks up after we just talked about the use of artificial intelligence in a new Beatles song being released this year. How George's music reflects his spirituality, and George's group of friends and their involvement in his life and music. I'd like to thank Elliot and Rob again for their enthusiasm, unmatched knowledge, and incredible opinions of amazing music. I hope you enjoy this episode. You know, we're touching on a really interesting subject here. Have you both seen the three-part Living in the Material World documentary about George from 2011? Because I think that documentary is kind of the, the closest thing we can get to knowing what George would be like in the modern day. Like, one of the coolest things about that documentary is that there's no narration, and you, as the viewer, are basically hearing about George's public and private life through the stories that his friends and family tell about him. I just think that it's kind of like the interview about his life and music in modern day context that he never had the chance to give.
2: We're all very lucky that we got such a loving and beautiful and very candid portrait of George that didn't sugarcoat him and, uh, really admirably, um, Try to present the complete George, without turning him into a a sentimental figure, and without overlooking some of the um, the more difficult aspects of his life and and his loved ones' lives. Um, To me, uh, just you know, given my given who I am, given my personality, I'm so fascinated with his ongoing relationships with the Beatles. Um, I'm fascinated something I learned a lot from that movie about his relationship with his family and his parents who are uh, such fascinating figures in his life story. Um, but it's weird that the thing I come away from that movie most intensely with is just uh, amazement at Olivia and uh, like what a like fascinating figure she is in George's life. And just, I mean, every time I see living in the material world, I just think he was so lucky that, you know, that Olivia was there out there in the world. And, you know, she met him at a really dark and grim time of his life you know elliot it, it was his extra texture era you know that was that was the, the the music coming out of that i love that album a lot more than you do but it like you said it's it's <laughs> a depressive album um yeah and just hearing um just the light and life that she brought back into his music into his art but also into him and his spirit and that he could go in a few years to an album as serene and beautiful as his 1979 self-titled album, which is honestly, it's an entire that album is just one long love song to Olivia. That is like, no matter what's in the words of the songs or like the verbal content, that is an album that's clearly inspired by this uh, intense and very personal love in his life that just you know audibly wasn't there uh on something like Dark Horse or or Extra Texture. And there's something. To me, so inspiring and mysterious about Olivia as a character in uh in George's life. And one of the ongoing weirdnesses of, of all the Beatles' lives is that they uh drew such brilliant and charismatic and fascinating women into their stories. Um, very, very different from any other male rock stars of their generation that we could name, but but why why go into that? Um but with Olivia, you have just such a genuinely heroic figure in on her own right, and it's just—it's well that that to me is like the great takeaway of of that movie is is really the love story between them.
3: Yeah, I, I I would agree with you absolutely. It's so it's so wonderful to hear her point of view and to hear how, um, like in the song "Dark Sweet Lady," like she clearly did rescue him. You yeah, know? um, and uh that documentary highlights that perhaps he could have been a better husband, um, to her, but she, you know, she was, she was someone who was central to his life from, from the mid seventies onwards. And I think, yeah, w- w- what a blessing to to them both that they found each other. And that, um, I think it's oh, not Nikki Lauda. One of the, uh, one, one of the car racing guys, um, in, in the documentary says that um, he considered George <clears throat> to be one of his very good, like, just personal friends, but to George, who had so many friends, it, it, you know, you couldn't necessarily count on that he would say the same thing because his his world, uh, his community, and just the scope of the friends that he had were was just so huge, but everyone dearly cherished that friendship that they had with George. Everyone who, Klaus Foreman said he was the best friend I ever had. And uh, it, it just appeared to me that if you were fortunate enough to come into George's life and for him to come into yours, that it was a relationship that was unlike anything else you'd have. You know he was someone who was genuinely curious about you and, and, and asked about your life, your family uh, and, and he remembered things about you and to see how moved people were um, even you know people like Roy Cooper and that kind of thing, just just so moved by this, this man and what he what he did and what he was capable of and, and the joy he brought into people's life, that was my kind of favorite takeaway from, from the documentary because George would never, you know, sing his own praises. Uh, he was, uh, you know, often quite grumpy, really. When you, when, when you look at any kind of George interview, he's, it's an air of why am I here? We're
1: doing this right
3: now.
1: Why am um, I'm i so glad you guys aren't like that. Yeah.
3: <laughs> that would make this podcast very different. Oh, this is, this is, this has made my week. Absolutely. But yeah, it's, 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 it, it it's the impact George had, on other people, whoever they, whoever they were, other musicians, race car drivers, movie stars, is that they all found him to be such a special guy. Um, So yeah, that's, that is really what I love about it. And the fact that it's like all the Dark Horse tour footage that we have is from that documentary. And I'm imploring whoever is in charge of that to, to do something more with it. Because I think that there's a potential to rewrite the history of the Dark Horse tour every, you know, so many people love that, um, love that too who went to it. And I think that there's enough, D- Danny Harrison has said that there's enough footage there to create something truly worthwhile. And I, you know, I would just personally love to see that as a bit of a side note to, um, what we're just talking about. Yeah.
2: I love that idea. I hope that happens. I hope that happens. Oh yeah. I, I, I don't know whether to love it or fear it, but like, I, <laughs> I, I can't wait to hear it. Um, and Elliot, you really hit the nail on the head that that George had that effect on such a wide variety of people who had really nothing else in common. You know, you've got comedians hmm. and race car drivers and movie stars, all these people and yet George had that effect on them. One of the images of George that's really like kind of indelible from that movie is just the image of him driving around with all these ukuleles in, the, in his trunk <laughs> and that so many people have stories of like, yeah, George opened up the trunk of his car and like Pulled out a ukulele and gave me one. And and it's so funny that that is such a beautiful sort of uh, metaphor for George's presence in the world of bringing, you know, ukuleles into into the lives of these people who are all, it seems, really touched and also somewhat puzzled by this gift. But like the fact that his charisma translated to all these different people, I'm, I'm so fascinated by the race car drivers in that and, and also in George's life in general, because that's something I know nothing about. And I hmm. have absolutely no ability at all to process why that was so intense for George and why he loved that so much and why he idolized these people so much. I mean, it's, it, it's really kind of funny, like how much, uh, mm. even like, you know, his 1979 self-titled album is an album that's very much like, he's very much a, a racing fan. He's very smitten by that world and really starstruck. Um, which, you know, seems to me really like kind of like funny and lopsided, you know, like George Harrison is yeah. George Harrison, you know, like, why aren't they just like dropping to the ground and cowering that you know the guy who wrote <laughs> I want to tell you came to see them race a car? But that's I'm, there's something kind of beautiful in that and and I do love that.
3: Yeah, he, he talks about that um briefly in, in in I Me Mine, how you know antithetical it seems that someone like him, spiritual, you know, a lover of nature, is also into race car race cars, noisy polluters um, you know, that, that kind of thing, but it's, it's just as love, I guess he had as, as a kid w- with cars that just carried through. And he, he does mention how to get to that position where you're the best at what you're doing, driving those cars in that, in such a dangerous environment that there is a link between, you know, meditation and what he does, uh, to, to allow his mind to, you know, to, to, to be at peace and to, to truly be present that they, he saw a a similarity with what those race car drivers have to do when they're in that position and everything has to, you know, move on instinct and there's no thought it's you're, you're almost accessing a higher plane of your consciousness. And I think that if anything was the link between what George, who he was and what he, what he, what he did, and between these guys. But I think, I think you could get anyone who was good at something or the best at something and you could put them in front of George and they could talk for hours about that. I think it was just, it, it's George's genuine curiosity about the world and about people who were, who, who were good and good at stuff. Yeah.
1: So how do you both feel about the world's current retrospective view of George Harrison as a person and as a musician? Do you think that there's anything we should collectively reevaluate or bring more or less attention to Rob? I know that you just wrote an incredible article that sheds new light on George's album, living in the material world 50 years later. What
2: do you think? I feel we all, I mean, we all have that love for that 1979 self-titled album. That's an album that for all three of us, it means a lot to us. Blow away is a phenomenal song. You know, It can hold its own with any single, any hit single, any of the Beatles ever released after the band broke up. And yet, for so many people who love George and love a lot of his music, this is a great unknown period of his career, the 70s in general, uh, the 70s after All Things Must Pass. It's almost like this curtain comes down after All Things Must Pass, and then it rises again for Cloud Nine. And there's a lot going on in that period that is really fascinating i uh i think there's a lot more to discover and i think george's stock as a singer songwriter and band leader will just keep rising because people will go back and hear those records and admittedly some of those records like i said i happen to love extra texture uh i'm not trying to change your mind about it because everything you say about it is true um but there is a uh, I think we've seen this happen with Paul, certainly. We've seen this happen with John and with Ringo, that um, albums that they made in the 70s that sort of got lost in the historical shuffle for a while have been rediscovered. I mean, I I remember many, many, many years when everybody agreed that Ram was an absolute piece of garbage. There was no pro-Ram narrative. It, this was a thing, it was just kind of a consensus viewpoint. It was like one of those pieces of conventional wisdom that nobody challenged. It was only really about 20 years ago that people began sort of reevaluating Ram and listening to it with fresh ears without the prejudices. Same kind of thing for McCartney too, you know, like it wasn't a reviled album, but it was nowhere near as famous 15, 20 years ago as it is now, nowhere near as loved. And for George, I think that his 70s period is kind of like that. I feel like people will go back and find these songs from Extra Texture, from 33 and a Third, from George Harrison, and uh, even maybe Life Itself from somewhere in England. And people will rediscover and reevaluate these songs, and they'll realize that George made a lot more great music than people people even understand at this point. We're still kind of catching up with his achievement. Certainly in terms of those, you know, we were talking about that, the demos from All Things Must Pass that, you know, they're out there, they're released, people can hear them. But a lot of people who love George Harrison just, you know, haven't heard songs like Cosmic Empire or Dune, and, you know, they would almost certainly love them.
3: And it speaks to the quality of those songs as well that um, on Living in the Material World, apart from Try Some, Buy Some, which he'd been toying with for a few years, he didn't use any of them. He didn't feel the need to bring any of them into that next album, and he could have, and they, and they're, they're great songs. But he, yeah, it's, it's, it's why I I've made these um super long ranking videos of which are um, so great, you know,
2: and I learned so oh, much from thank them. You. Oh my god, <laughs> I love them.
3: Oh, thank you so much. That really genuinely means a lot. Um, but it's you know it's beginning with Paul um, because he just has such a large amount of of albums that are not heard of you know you you ask people about paul mccartney's you know solo career they br- they bring up band on the run or you know perhaps one or two others but there's just there's just so much and so what i and the same goes with george what i what i want to achieve with those with those videos is i want to go in as much depth as possible to evaluate analyze and kind of discuss this music because they're the Beatles. It, it, they may not be together, but they're still making incredible music that no one talks about. You don't hear on the radio. You don't hear, um, you don't hear them discussed in retrospectives because, uh, for whatever reason, people just didn't deem the the four Beatles separately as anything really worthwhile aside from you know a couple of hit albums. But um, it, it really warms my heart now when people go. You know, people comment and they say, like, I'm, you know, I'm the biggest Paul McCartney fan now because because of that video. You've introduced me to, you know, whatever it might be, Chaos and Creation in the Backyard. You've introduced me to Walls and Bridges or or George Harrison's self titled. That's now my favorite album because I I truly think they they are just it, the world is sitting on a treasure trove with with these songs and 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 these albums that we just haven't you know gone back to. To listening to, but I, I I think people always will will go back to them, and they'll discover that uh, they they may never be the Beatles, but nothing ever will be. But you can really really enjoy some excellent music, um, particularly in, in in all their respective 70s solo careers. Yeah,
2: yeah. And after you take them out of that narrative that the world sort of built of of this sort of disappointment after the Beatles, and you just listen to the music as music. So many brilliant songs that don't fit into that narrative has come to the surface. A friend of mine has a yeah. son who is eight years old, and he thinks the very best Beatles song of all is "Blow Away." <laughs> and, you know, he's 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 eight awesome. years old. He does not have the sort of narrative of like, no, 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 they were the Beatles, and then they broke up, and then they allegedly hated each other, and they went into decline. Like, and of course, you listen to "Blow Away," and it's like it is that good. It is that great. Um, but if you talk about this, I did a Beatles panel last year, and someone came to the panel and came afterwards to talk about the music. And as it turned out, he was Russ Tittleman. And I was like, oh my gosh, well, <sighs> that George Harrison album you produced is one of my very favorites. And it, he was very, very generous in like talking about that, that period. And I, I said, I was just uh, having a conversation with a friend who thinks the very best song that the Beatles did was Blow Away. And, you know, and Russ was like, who's to say he's wrong? And, you know, it's really true that there's so much of the story that's just beginning to be told and just beginning to be understood.
3: Yeah, wow. Did, um, just going in on that for a second, did, uh, did Russ enjoy his time producing, uh, the self-titled?
2: Yes. Uh, and had very many warm memories of George. It was, uh, Honestly, like a little daunted because we were talking for for George for a bit before he said like his name, and I like, "Oh my goodness." Um <laughs> yeah. I mean, you know, so many. So I've, I said, you know, like I've, I've I've been listening to your records like my entire life, uh, and but it was funny that that one is such a special album in terms of George's discography, in terms of his music. Um, as you discussed brilliantly, he's he's very happy and peaceful on that album in a way that people don't think of usually when they think of George Harrison. Um, and he's also, yeah. he's very pop and very uh, show busy in the best way on that album. And it's, it's a very 1979 LA rock record. It is like, it is very slickly, cleverly, thoughtfully put together. Um, and it's funny that there's still so much of the story. If the world is just now really catching up with that album I feel like there's lots of great George music that people are just going to keep catching up with. I think if Absolutely. that album was released today, it would like instantly go to number one. <laughs> I, you're not wrong. Yeah. I, I can't believe Not Guilty is on that album. Oh my God, yes. There's somebody that would not guilty on that one and Circles on that one. And it's it's funny that he didn't, you know, like... I wish he'd kept that going in the 90s, kept making albums and put, you know, like Sour Milk Sea on them or something like that. (laughs) I keep thinking about what you said about circles at the end of Gontrapo and that that really does seem like the one to put on at the end of the party when like the guests won't leave. (laughs) Oh, yeah. Okay, people. um, It's funny that we haven't talked so far uh, at all about Wonderwall music or electronic sound. Um, mm. wonder mom music is one that when people hear it which they can now because it's on streaming whereas it was unfindable for for most of my mm. lifetime it's funny that people hear it now and they're really always surprised like that there's so much good stuff on it oh so good that's i think you pointed out just
3: then why i think a lot of this has gone you know uh you know people don't know about this stuff because it, it, it's very hard to access this back catalog of sometimes you know uh, you know, like finding a copy of Gone Troppo anywhere would have been very difficult. But <laughs> in the age of streaming, anyone can go and listen to any obscure B-side or, you know, yeah, Wonderwall. It's, and I think that's going to be a big step in people rediscovering this music is the accessibility to it. Sure, it's, as Bob Dylan says, it smooths everything out um, and we can argue whether that's good or bad, but it's for the younger generation there's no barriers to that and they can enjoy whatever they want to um, in in whatever capacity. But yeah, Wonderwall music is, um, I watched that film only for the first time this year and the film, you know, definitely is just an okay film, you know, made out of sixties, late sixties, you know, uh, young artists, utopic vision of the world, but his, uh, George's, Attempt um, a successful attempt, I would say, at incorporating um, classic Indian music with with rock music, uh, kind of doing it the most on that album, more than any of his other albums, is really just a, t- a testament to his talents. At the time, he'd never scored a, a film, didn't know the first thing about it, um, and just sets such a great tone. It's the best thing about the film, that and the you know occasional great visuals. Uh, which appeared wonderfully with with uh, you know the, the the stuff he created in in Mumbai in in 1968. You know it's yeah I I love wonderful music. I
2: can I can forgive a lot about a film that has Jane Birkin in it. Yeah <laughs> I, yeah exactly um, a very lenient jury in in that case. Um, <laughs> yeah. But that, that's definitely a, a great case of an album that was unfindable for many years and people sort of adopted a sort of stereotype about what they assumed that it sounded like. Um, Mm. And we can see this with, you know, all their solo careers, that there's examples abound that now people can hear them and they can come to them fresh without those sort of pre-baked narratives that, that people used to impose on these. But it used to be, if you even heard Wonderwall music, it was because you went to the ends of the earth to find it. You probably paid too much and you listened to it and it was, you know, not as brilliant as you secretly hoped it would be. Uh, Now that anybody can listen to it for pretty much free, it's a thing where its virtues are very noticeable in a way that they were obscured for many years. Yeah. I
3: don't know if we can say the same thing about electronic sound, but, you know,
2: (laughs) the fact that it was
3: an early example of synthesizers uh, used in, I guess, popular music, there's something to that, but otherwise... uh, yeah, I've got I've got a friend who's really into quite obscure sounds. He's, you know, just the weirder the, the music, the, the better. And he comes out to he comes out to bat for electronic sound. But I don't know. I I, <laughs> I think there's something of a contrarian mindset. If you consider electronic sound to be a listenable album.
2: Someday we'll some disagree. Someday somebody will sample it in a brilliant song. And then that will like make it a whole new album so totally i i I just have that operate i'm waiting for that person i'm slightly impatient because i I wish they do it sooner rather than later um yeah
1: could you imagine that the new beatles song that's coming out is just an excerpt from electronic sound
2: i love that i love and nobody Mm. would know like it would take (laughs) nobody would know (laughs) yeah honestly like the new beatles song it could be from something from side two of extra texture and it, (laughs) it would take weeks for anybody to notice
1: absolutely Another great topic that you guys just mentioned is streaming. Like for the last 10 years, the main way that I consumed music is through streaming. And as of recent, the algorithm in these streaming services like Spotify and Apple Music, it's just been getting better and better for suggesting songs to you that you haven't heard before based on what you listen to most. And and honestly, if not for the ability to stream music and... Select songs at will, and be recommended deep cuts from albums that I haven't listened to all the way through yet. My music knowledge would be way more limited than it is now.
3: Oh no, absolutely! It's yeah, it's it's why I we don't have any excuse now. Like you know, if 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 you want to go back and listen to an artist's back catalog, you, you know, someone like Paul McCartney. Which would was previously pre, previously to streaming would have been a you know a lifelong task to gather all those all those albums. Um, you can do it in a couple of days if you're really committed enough. And I I, I do wonder what that's going to do to music journalism to um, the way we consume music now as well. Um, I really hope that the album is not you know, that's not going away. I think there was people thought that there was a threat to that when like iTunes first came about, you know, like, are we even going to do albums anymore or are people are just going to pay, you know, for songs individually. But I think, um, there are still artists obviously that really make a thing of an album release. Taylor Swift is, you know, is clearly one of them who just is a master of creating an identity and era around, you know, uh, like a set of songs, and I'm glad that that artists like that still exist because I think that's very important. I think there's really something to receiving an album and looking at the liner notes and the the in jokes that you don't get if you if you do just just stream. So I think a, a healthy balance of streaming of of record collecting is how I approach my music. I, I still listen to vinyl records, you know, if I want to just sit down and take in an album, look at the artwork. I I I still do that, but I will admit that most of them are, are the way that I hear my music is through streaming. But, yeah, staying cognizant of it, I think, is is important.
2: Totally. Definitely. I mean, it's funny that people take albums more seriously than ever because artists just love, like, the, the album as statement. And yeah. it, it it's funny that audiences really respond to that because George in – the seventies especially um made albums where not necessarily listening all the way through is the best way to appreciate the peaks and valleys on these records um so I did it something like streaming makes it easy to just you know pick like the good song off this album or the good song off that album just to to focus in on individual songs. Um, And sort of free them from the context of the record and the reputation of the record and the narrative of the record. And, you know, that's what makes these songs. I think that's why Georgia's stock just keeps rising. I think it's why, you know, for all the Beatles as solo artists, their reputations are just going to keep rising as the world just, you know, now is able to to go and listen to what they did in, in a really easy kind of way. It used to be that if you were telling people, you know, Elliot, you mentioned Walls and Bridges, which is a record that has such great stuff on it. it used to be that um, if you recommended that somebody give that album, that that music, a chance, uh, the commitment that that required of them to, you know, actually find and an, a copy of the album and to sit down with it and wade through some of the stuff that's maybe not so great, or you know, to get acclimated mm. to the production or whatever it is that for different people it's different things, but the greatness that's on that record is now much more easily accessed than ever. Like somebody can just listen to old dirt road, you know, just on its own as an individual song and say, this is one of the most beautiful things John Lennon ever did. And, you know, that that is something that is, you know, or, or all those songs, you know, on on mind games, which is a great album with like really extreme highs and extreme lows. And I, I love that now people can just focus on, on the highs and discover music that would have been just too daunting to discover before. Yeah.
1: Well, Elliot and Rob, I saved the hardest question for last. If you could characterize George Harrison in one word, which word would that be?
3: I would say bliss. I I thought about this and um, he, he's used the phrase blissed out a few times. The first time he went to the tropics um it, it was his kind of way of um labeling what would become what he felt when he meditated and you know uh when he got closer to god it was it, it was bliss and i think he created bliss in his music um for me as a listener anyway i think he was george was spent his life trying to find bliss in gardening in traveling to a far distant hawaiian island you know he was he that that that's what he sought out of life he wanted to find the that upper layer of consciousness where he could experience that so um and i think it's a you know a kind of positive word i think there's a lot of kind of i suppose uh you know grumpy could be one or 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 whatever but i think i think I think when you really look at what George sought to do in his life, it was, it it was to find bliss. So that's, uh, that's what I, that's the word I would choose.
2: I like that. That's a great choice. That's a great choice. (laughs) Mine would be serenity. And because it's not a mood that George was in a lot of the time, but it's Mm. his music achieves serenity in a way that no other music I know does. Um, both with the Beatles and afterwards, that you listen to a song like Give Me Love, which is my very favorite um, George Harrison solo song, and I think always will be. And just the, the simplicity of that song, the, uh, the friendliness of it, even just the tone, that this is a song where he's not claiming to have all the cosmic answers, and it's not a song where he's lecturing people about their sinful ways. It's a song where he's just, he's using his special connection to God to put in a word for the rest of us. He's, he's offering a generous prayer for humanity. And you can hear in his guitar that, that, that the, the serenity that he achieves with these simple goals. I think of George as very much like Buddy Holly in so many ways. Uh, obviously, one of his early heroes, but that's something that Buddy Holly had as well, too, that when Buddy Holly found that sort of serenity in his voice, in his guitar and his sense of rhythm, that everything else fell into place and his music just became overwhelmingly beautiful without necessarily getting overwhelmingly complicated. And funny, because I love so many George songs where he's cranky, kvetchy, where he's basically like Larry David with a guitar. There's there's an awful lot of that. I think George Harrison and Larry David would have been great friends if if George had continued into this era. I even have this fantasy of them making an album together where like Larry David is doing the vocals and George is playing the guitar. And they could collaborate <laughs> in lyrics. Honestly, like you know, picture Larry David doing. You know, I look at the floor. I see it needs sweeping. You know, like it's oh, it's so true. It, but the, uh, George's old man sensibility, which we were talking about before, but there's a certain beautiful serenity that comes out. And the uh, the album that we've been talking about all night that 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 1979 self titled album. Too bad it didn't have a title, or we could you know call it something. But it's really beautiful. That of all his albums, this is the one that he called George Harrison, that there's a serenity there, whether it's a song like Dark Sweet Lady or a song like Here Here Comes the Moon or a song like Blow Away, where he sounds really effortless, like he's not pushing too hard, even though we know how much genius and how much torment and how much striving and how much yearning went into these songs, that what comes out is a kind of serenity that I know of no other music that captures that quality so well. And that he yeah. was able to make music that just communicates that sense of serenity, even in times that were really dark, painful, chaotic for him. Um, you know, Jack, you mentioned Deep Blue, which is a song that is obviously a very deeply broken-hearted song. Um, and yet there's a, a buoyancy in the guitar to that song that carries him from one end of the song to the other. And you just try to imagine anybody else, anybody else in music being able to write a song like Deep Blue, and you, you just can't do it. Like. George has this ability to create serene music out of very unserene circumstances. And that to me is the essence of George Harrison's genius. Great answer. Yeah. The
1: word, that, the word that I chose to characterize George was honest. Like if you go through his entire catalog, I feel like all of his songs are just an exact reflection of where he's at um, in his life at that moment. And like you said earlier in the conversation, Rob. I feel like his throat is is like a consciousness. And when he's singing a song that he doesn't want to sing, it'll be very evident. And Elliot, like you said, on on Somewhere in England, he comes out of the gate criticizing the music that um, his fans are listening to. He can't help it. I mean, there's no shot that he could be like Paul in that sense. And, you know, forgive the pun here. But he can't put on my brave face and be a crowd pleaser. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> and another, another word I thought of in relation to George is the word you, because that's a word that appears on at least one song in, I believe, nearly every single one of his albums. But the meaning of you in George's songs always changes depending on where he is at that point in his life. You know, you could, could be either God. It could be the listener, it could be his wife, or the general world at at some points.
2: Mm. What a beautiful choice! Well put. Those are both great, great choices. I I love how you cheated and had two different words, but they're both <laughs> they're both really just like apt. It's really amazing that these, but George, an artist with so many contradictions, but these all, all these selections for words are really like fascinating because they bring his contradictions together. Yeah bliss is such a part of it when he was so drawn to conflict and, and, you know, darkness. I love George singing, beware of darkness, you know, like when, when he's, he's to a large extent, the darkness in, you know, in the music at that point. Um, But there's so much, uh, so much contradiction in George that he was able to make so much music out of it.
3: I mean, he points that out in, in, in brainwashed in the song um, Pisces fish. That's, that he he is a pisces he's um like i think the lyric is i'm full of life's contradictions or something like that you know i'm 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 going where the other half's just been you know i don't even know what that actually like like fully means but like i like that in his final album he was truly aware with of his contradictions and how much you know certain beliefs or certain actions were at a complete contradiction to all other aspects of his life and I think that's ultimately one of the most fascinating things about George Harrison is how he you know tackled being one of the most famous people on earth beloved uh, and so, so talented with being someone who wanted to shed his ego and you know not fall into the trappings of the material world that that tension with himself and and with the greater world around him is to me, the most fascinating thing about the man, and uh, I'm glad he kind of reckoned with it in his, with his final songs. Yeah,
2: Jack, I, I'm wondering if uh, "I Me mean Mine" is a favorite of yours. The book. You know, I actually haven't read "I Me
1: Mine" yet. It's it's on my list, and I really want to read it, but I haven't gotten around to it yet. It's not
3: a super long read. It's 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 it looks very thick now. Um, but it's it, it's quite an like a an abridged version of his life um and then primarily it's it's his own notes on his on his songs which is endlessly fascinating to hear him kind of discuss his own his own music but you can honestly read it in like a day um so yeah I'd, I'd recommend it
2: it's a lot of fun mm-hmm. it's funny the book is most famous for like John having a tantrum that you know that's not being mentioned in it, <laughs> I which heard is that. so yeah. perfect in a way that I love. Like you know, like George like actually has this really beautiful and revealing and very funny memoir, and it's most famous because it hurt John's feelings. There's something so perfect yeah. about the the you know the prison that George was in, like in terms of how the world <laughs> saw him. And yeah, all his complaints are are validated in, in just that one image. Yeah, truly. Another song, like I'm just curious, like what you guys. I mean, I assume this is a favorite of yours, but it's such a weird sort of and yet like famous George song and, and it hasn't come up yet. But like, uh, Isn't It a Pity? Mm. Which is... Oh, yeah. It, it's, it's funny that that's a song that is, you know, we think of that as such a like gigantic classic George song. And it's, uh, it's so weird and so contradictory. And I feel like we're all still sort of figuring that one out.
3: Yeah, and the fact that it was from 1966 as well that he he wrote something like that at such a young age it, it, it's mind-blowing It's scary to think about really <laughs> yeah he's that he had such a, a grasp on the world and that he could I suppose summarize uh you know his the depth of his despair of, of what he sees as what's going wrong in the world and, and isn't it a pity but it can also fill you with such hope the way the the finished version just swells at the end. And it it, it leaves you with this kind of strange, I guess, contradictory state, like like George himself, that that there is hope, that those strings underneath, um, give you that sense that maybe there's a way out of this. Maybe that there's a way that we can overcome the things that George finds such a pity in the world. yeah, yeah. I mean, like, we could honestly have used up all two hours and 23 minutes talking about any one song off of All Things Must Pass, mm-hmm. truly. Like, yeah, like yep. there are, there is so much more about George that I, I, I would have loved to dive into. because There is so much there. It's almost
1: insurmountable. Yeah, what a great song. One of my favourite moments in the uh, Get Back documentary is when they showed George quitting the band and... They played his demo of the demo, is yeah. it a pity over that whole sequence? Really affecting. It was it was really impactful, yeah. And Elliot, you're right. You know, I'm I'm kind of surprised that we haven't talked about All Things Must Pass like half as much as we discussed Gontrapo. <laughs>
3: <laughs> because they're the unsung heroes. We all know All Things Must Pass. People will talk about that album as if it's the only George Harrison solo album. So I feel I felt personally that despite it being you know one of the greatest of all time it didn't necessarily need more praise being heaped on it because people have it's you know we're we're here to sing the praises of his self-titled that's what this podcast (laughs) has been about and i'm glad we did yes
1: yeah
2: (laughs) it is funny it's just occurring to me now that like we barely talked about you know it's probably the album we've talked about least. We talked more about Wonderwall music than about all things this time. <laughs> 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 it's kind of perfect in a way.
1: Totally. That's how you know you're with true George Harrison fans.
2: Absolutely. And he Absolutely. wouldn't have it any other way. But honestly, Apple Scruffs, what a song. He could oh have retired God. the day after he did Apple Scruffs and like, <laughs> that would still be a classic career. I,
3: I think it's my favorite backup singing on any solo Beatle uh, song. Is, is Apple Scruffs the George O'Hara Smith singings, the way they just get full girl group pop um, perfection on that song. is just, ah, uh, it's, it's just wonderful.
1: Incredible. Oh, and the song that George left off the original album of All Things Must Pass, I Live For You, with Pete Drake on that amazing pedal steel guitar. I mean, when I listen to that song, it, I mean, I definitely feel both blissful and serene. What,
3: what George called the bagpipes of country and western music. <laughs> <Yeah>.
1: <laughs> Did he really? Did Drake's pedal
2: steel guitar. <laughs> yeah. That's awesome. But yeah, like blissful, <laughs> blissful serene, and you. It's, it's, <laughs> yeah, mm-hmm. exactly. And that could be an album in itself. And that's, again, the, the funny thing that he had this stockpile of songs after All Things Must Pass. And as Elliot pointed out, like he, he didn't milk these, you know, he's still recording white album outtakes, you know, into the 70s and 80s. He's still doing, you know, like, circles and Not Guilty and he's, you know, he's letting I Live For You just sit there all these years. It's really kind of comical. And Rob, I know that you
1: brought up earlier Gopala Krishna. I mean, oh man, like that song. What
2: a song. What a song. And so much of what he tried to do in so many bigger sounding songs, he did so many, like, elaborate productions and that's just him and his guitar and he absolutely nails everything he set out to do it's it's honestly weird to think how the world might be different and how the world's idea of George might be different if he had just found a way to put this song on a damn album at some point in the (laughs) 70s you know like when he's struggling to fill up some of his albums and you know it's Mm -hmm. like wow just put that one on a b-side you know like what a song that is so, Elliot and Rob,
1: what are you both up to now in terms of working on projects? Elliot, I have to ask you uh, the inevitable question here, and it's not when will the bubble burst. <laughs> but will you release a video of you ranking all of Ringo's solo albums?
2: Yeah, yeah. I can't tell you well, how much I'm waiting for that one. Well, yeah, that, this
3: is the thing. I wasn't necessarily going to, to do it because it's, there's just so he, I think he even has a couple more than Paul. And, um, I was like, ah, do people want to hear this? Is, is this going to be substantial? But now I know I have to do it. And, uh, (laughs) so I, it won't be out till next year. I can really average, only average one of those, uh, videos a year because they are massive. They are such a huge undertaking, but I will do it. I will do um, Ringo's discography and perhaps even the Beatles after that. Um, So that's, yeah, that's down the pipeline. And otherwise, uh, yeah, you can find me on my YouTube channel, uh, youtube.com forward slash Elliot Roberts videos, or just search Elliot Roberts in YouTube. I'll pop up for all your Beatles fan video needs.
2: (laughs) May I recommend for any of the newbies out there to start with the Paul Solo stuff, which, yeah, is so, it, when you hear Elliot talk about it, it really like jumps out at you. How little real, like genuinely illuminating critical attention has been paid to Paul's solo career. It's almost like hiding in plain sight as so much Beatles solo stuff is. But uh honestly, like hearing you talk about chaos and creation in the backyard was a finally kind of thing. It's like, it's, you know... Yeah absolute classic that completely turns around the Paul McCartney story. And so many people like just completely forget that that exa- album is even part of the Paul McCartney story because they'd already decided what the story was. I'm looking forward to the Ringo one. Oh,
3: thank you. Yeah, well, look, I I, I would agree. If you do want to start anywhere with me
2: start at that video, I think it'll
3: give you a great insi- insight to what I'm all about. And um, yeah, uh, Rob, that was an honor to hear you uh, <laughs> to hear you say that. Thank you. So, so much because your, your writing is such a, a a huge influence. Truly, like starting starting my YouTube channel was partly because of, of that book that you wrote. Um, so thanks so much for, for what you do as well. And, um, you know, I, I look forward to inevitably when Paul McCartney makes a new album, your review of it on Rolling Stone.
2: <laughs> and it's wild that he keeps making those albums. And I keep saying, yeah, I... I don't get how he can still write these songs, but it's like absolutely incredible that, you know, he's got, you know, now it's the 2020s and it's like, who else has written brilliant songs in the 1950s and the 2020s? Well, you have got yeah. Smokey Robinson, it's... Paul McCartney, and that's the list. That's about yeah. it. It's, it's really just kind of incredible that his will to keep making music and his brilliance at keeping making music. And well, but, you know, we could have a whole, we could have a whole just like, recent Paul yeah. episode, you know, that's like yeah. totally. <laughs> no 20th century Paul allowed. Just we're going to pretend yeah. driving rain is a debut album. Um, <laughs> but Thanks for everything you do Elliot. Cause it is, it is genuinely fascinating. And, and I do recommend anyone like starting with the Paul ones. Like that's, those are the bangers. Thank you, Rob. The video that
1: I'd recommend watching by Elliot is why Ram should be considered the first indie pop album. I love that video. I love that. Oh one. yeah.
3: Well, that, oh, thank you. I, that was like my second video that I made. I, I think if I, I would touch up a few things back there. I think my, uh, the, the depth of my research wasn't as extensive these days, but I, I still stand by that, um, uh, by that video. I do love it. And look, it's, if anything, if it introduces you to the album of, of Ram, then it's it's worth it because apart from All Things Must Pass, that's for me, my, my favorite solo Beatles record. It's just a, a magical record, that one.
1: Yeah, and I just like to thank you both for coming on this podcast and spending two and a half hours with me talking about George Harrison. You guys are the only people I know that would do that, so thank you
2: very <laughs> much. <laughs> thank you, it's Jack. Honestly, Jack, thank you for what you do with all of these. Like, it's amazing, like how many great Beatles minds I I get to discover from your work. And y- you are always so brilliant in these. I just, you know, just thank you for for everything you do. Oh, yeah. thank you. Yeah. I'm I'm constantly learning from your podcasts and, and your guests, but more often you. I hope that's okay <laughs> to say. <laughs> thank you, Rob. <laughs> that's so great to hear.
3: Yeah, it was a pleasure talking to you guys. I would be happy to do it again anytime. Awesome.
0: Well, we'll try a verse of this one.
1: Traveling on a boat and a plane Thank you for listening to the Here, There, and Everywhere three-part discussion about George Harrison's life and music featuring Elliot Roberts and Rob Sheffield. I'm your host, Jack Lawless. Both Elliot and Rob's information and pages are linked in the podcast description, so be sure to check out their pages and their work in case you haven't already. If you like this episode, be sure to subscribe to this podcast to hear more roundtables like this in the future and more interviews with creative people who were influenced by the Beatles. Of course, thank you to George Harrison for a lifetime of songs, thoughts, and discussions to be had about the blissful serenity of his music. And as always, we'll see you next week with a brand new episode.
0: Traveling around the fence, there was no beginning, there is no end. It wasn't born and never dies. There are no edges, there is no size. Ah oh, yeah, you just don't win. It's so far out, the way out is in. Bow to God and call him sir, but if you don't know where you're going, any road will take you there. And if you don't know where you're going, Take you there.
1: Hey.
2: Okay.